Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're finishing up today, the last day in the book of Luke. And so I hope you've enjoyed it. It's, it's been uh, really significant for me, just the study. And so we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 22 today. So in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. And then uh, what will happen after Luke is that we'll go to uh, two weeks. We're going to preach two weeks just on the value of community and why we do community and why it's such a value here at Cedar Valley Church, why we promote community and those types of relationships. And then we'll go into about a six-week series just called What the Bible Says. And we're going to look at what the Bible actually says because we've all heard things in the Bible. We're going to hear, talk about what the Bible actually says about some very significant things. What does the Bible say about the Bible? What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does the Bible say about the devil? What does the Bible say about money? What does the Bible say about conflict? And we'll work through those together. Uh, and that'll be really designed for your groups to have discussion and to chew those things up. And then we're going to the book of Romans. And we might be there for a year. We, no, no, I'm not playing games. We literally might be there a year. And we're going to go through the book of Romans. And it's just already dancing up here. I'm reading stuff and I'm like, what's in the Bible? Okay, all right. So you're going to enjoy that. So this is Luke chapter 22. And if you have it, would you just stand to your feet? And if you're new, a guest, we say this every week, but the reason we stand to our feet when we read is not because there's some magic in it, some ritual, right? When we read our primary text, we stand. It's a physical reminder for us to remind us that this isn't just some guys who got together and wrote a book. This is God speaking to us in Bloomington 2022. God has a word for you today. God has a word for me today. And this is God's word. So we're going we're to look at this. I'm only reading verses 17 through 22, uh, through 20. It says this, starting in verse 17. Then he, Jesus, took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for the bread. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, verse 20, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is now the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. So Father, this morning we thank you in particular for this time of worship. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're a faithful God, the God of unfailing love. And uh, we thank you this morning now for your word and that you speak through your word and through your word that you really desire to reveal to us who you are. So do that. God, do that. Don't let me get in the way. Just reveal to us who are you, God? Would you show us that? Would you speak to each individual? As you have a word for each individual for them, for their life, for where they're at, whether they're in this room, whether they're online, whether they're watching it three months from now, would you speak to us, Father? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. And so a lot of you know this, that, that time tends to put a lot of perspective on things. And so as you get older, as we get older at our house, time puts a perspective on things. And how many of you have figured this one out? That over time, you've already figured this out. Newer is not always better. Raise your hand. Have you figured that one out? 
Okay, put your hands down. You people don't know anything. Let me show you some examples. How about this? How, how about newer? How, how would you like to have surgery like this? New surgery is better than old surgery. My wife at our house, my wife has had both hips replaced, nothing. She was in and out of the hospital each time in less than 24 hours. She's been in and out of the hospital. New surgery is better than old surgery, everybody. Let me give you another example. How would you like to have some old dentistry? You like that? How would you like to just have somebody hold you down? And we're just going to put, we're going to, you know. No, new dentistry, newer is better than older. Let me give you another one. How about washing your clothes? Folks, this is a deluxe model. There's two buckets. How do you, how you want to go back to that? Newer is better than older. And let me just give you the really obvious, okay? Newer is better than older. Okay, and then there's the deluxe model, because that's a two-seater, okay? Newer is better than older. And I'm going to show you something this morning. I believe in the Word of God. We're going to see something today. And you're going to go, wow, new is better. New is mind-blowing. Like, we're going to see new in a way that we have never even thought about new. We're gonna, I'm, hoping that, I'm hoping that if you've been a church kid, and you grew up in the church, and you've been going to church all your life, you would say, I've never really thought about that. The new is better. The new is so much better. And if you're somebody who didn't grow up in the church, maybe you grew up in the church and you got hurt by the church and you're coming back to the church, you haven't been to church for a long time, you just say, man, I wasn't a church kid. I had a friend who invited me to church. I'm hoping that you're going to see this new and you're going to go, can I get some new? Can I get some of that new? Because this stuff is mind-blowing. And this is one I will tell you that every once in a while this happens to me where I study for a message and I usually have about three weeks into it, maybe four weeks into it, and it, you just keep ruining it. And, and this stuff is just blowing my mind the more that I study this stuff and realize that I'm a kid who grew up in the church. And so I'm hoping that you see that this morning. So look at your text. Look at your text. I want you to know this. Here, there's something that you have to understand. So when you go into this, you have to understand the context. You have to understand the background. And so for this one, specifically, you have to understand Passover. You have to understand the idea behind Passover. Now, here's the deal. Passover is the largest celebration in the Jewish faith. It's the largest. Now, it's not the holiest day. The holiest day is Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. But the biggest celebration is Passover. Passover is a celebration of when God liberated the Israelites who had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt and God finally liberated them. Moses led them out and they crossed the Red Sea and they went to Mount Sinai. It's the commemoration of that. It's the celebration of that. Now here's what's happening. In our text, we're about to get to Passover. And so because it's Passover, because it's the biggest celebration, everybody is coming to Jerusalem. Remember, the nation of Israel looks like this, right? This big strip. And then up here in this region, you have Galilee. Up here is the Sea of Galilee. And then it's connected with the, with the Jordan river down here to the Dead Sea. This middle section is Samaria. Down here is Judea. In Judea is Jerusalem. Everybody's going to Jerusalem because the temple is in Jerusalem and everybody's going for Passover and everybody is coming to town. Everybody, everybody, everybody is coming to town. They're traveling from all over Israel. They're coming to town. Guess who's coming to town? Jesus. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem. Now, they had been, he had had his ministry up in Galilee for a while, but now he's been making his way down, and now they've been in different towns, different towns, different towns, different towns, and finally they're making their way to Jerusalem. So in your text it says this, look at this in verse 12, the next day the news 
that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, swept through the city. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Did you hear that? This miracle worker, this amazing teacher. Oh, my goodness. He's coming to Jerusalem. And everybody's excited. And everybody's excited. So what do they do? Well, it says a large crowd of Passover visitors, because they're all coming to town. They took palm branches. And they went down the road to meet him. Do you remember this? We have Palm Sunday. It's the week before. Right here, we're about seven days out. And so they're waving these palm branches. And what did they say? Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, save us now. That's what it means. Because there's word that he might be the Messiah. Now, he's not the Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah who would free them now from the Roman tyranny. They're celebrating Passover, which is kind of weird because they're celebrating that they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. And now they're really under the Roman tyranny and they're saying, save us, save us, save us, save us. Jesus is coming to town. Well, not only do the people know it, but the Jewish officials know it. Everybody's got word of it. Jesus is coming to town. And the Jewish officials are fed up with Jesus. And so they're saying, maybe Jesus is coming to town. Maybe we can get him. Maybe this is time and we can trap him. Now, they've already said this. We don't want to kill him. Ultimately, they want to kill him. We don't want to kill him now because there's too many folks in town. And there might be a riot. But maybe this is one of those times. We'll see him. Crowds are everywhere. He's going to be out and about. We can snatch Jesus now. We can take him. We can get Jesus now. This is our chance. But Jesus was kind of interesting. He'd go and he'd speak and there'd be a large crowd. And everybody's like, well, we can't grab him now. There's a big crowd around us. And then all of a sudden, Jesus would be gone. And they couldn't get a hold of him. And they couldn't get a hold. And they're looking for an opportunity to get a hold of Jesus. And then, 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 then Satan enters into Judas Iscariot. You know the name Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus. And he was one of the 12 disciples. Judas was an insider. He would have known everything. And it says he went, he went, he went to them. He went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to, depray, to de betray Jesus to them. Judas went to them and says, hey, uh, hey, uh, I think this is what we can do. And so they paid Judas, and that's, that, that, that's what he does. So now it's a few days out, and now it's a few days out before Passover, and it's only about two days prior to Passover, and Jesus has got plans, and he tells John, and he tells Peter, he says, hey, we're going to have a Passover meal, just the fellas, just us 12. We're just going to have a dinner. And so I want you to go and find a place. You're going to go into Jerusalem. You're going to find a room. It's just off the beaten path. We won't be right in the middle of everything. We're not going to draw attention, but we're going to go. I want you to get that place prepared, and we're going to have a Passover dinner. How many of you have ever been to a Seder dinner? Raise your hand if you've been to a Seder dinner. So if you've never been to Seder dinner and you get a chance, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a commemoration of the actual Jewish dinner. It would have been a big deal. Passover, there's a lot of symbolism. You eat a lot of things. You eat some, some sour herbs kind of and those types of things. And, and you would eat some unleavened bread and, and bread without yeast. Because when the Israelites left Egypt, when they had been slaves, God told me, he said, it's, this is all going to happen quick. This is all going to happen quick. Don't put any yeast in the bread. Because if you put yeast in the bread, now you've got to let it rise. We ain't waiting for nothing. Put the unleavened yeast in there. You're going to eat that. They would have eaten unleavened bread, right? So they're getting the room all ready. They're getting the room all over, all ready. Okay, then it says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles, the, the disciples, they sat down together at the table. It's a Passover meal. And Jesus says, I've been so excited. I've just been so eager. I was like so excited to eat. Now watch this. This Passover. I've been really excited to eat this particular Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. 
And man, like no Passover dinner. Like I know you guys have all been celebrating Passover since you were kids because it's what we've been doing. We've been doing Passover for 1,500 years and Jesus would have been doing Passover his whole life. And he's saying, but this time, this time, this Passover, there's something special about this Passover. Now in about two days, Jesus is gonna die. It's gonna be very quick. But Jesus knows he's gotta get two things accomplished before that, two things have gotta get accomplished. Right? He's got to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, where he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to bless all people through you. Jesus said, I got to get that thing done. I got to get that done. And also, I got to get this new covenant established. There's going to be a new covenant, right? So Jesus said this. It says he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Nothing, nothing up. They were, they've done this a million times. They've all done it a million times. It's Passover. It would have been a piece of unleavened bread. It's a reminder of Passover. Remember when we left Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives thanks to God. Everything's kosher. No pun intended. Everything's kosher. Everything's good. That just word came out. That's interesting. Okay. And then he broke it in pieces. Would have been normal. It wouldn't have been normal. He breaks it in pieces and he hands it to the disciples. Everything's copacetic here. Like, this is normal. This is all normal. This is all normal. Am I broken? There we go. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Now, now just picture the disciples, because again, I'm visual. I picture the disciples, and they get this piece of bread, and they all go, wait, what did he? Like, John? Peter, what's up here? What did he just say? This is my body. Like, but he's not done. He's not even done yet. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of. Yeah, 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 Jesus, we got the whole remembrance of thing. We've been doing this, brother, 1,500 years. Our nation has been doing this 1,500 years. We get the, we do the whole remembrance. We get it. Slaves in Egypt. Moses led us out across the Red Sea. We went to Sinai. We get this. Do this in remembrance of. Uh-oh. Now the disciples are thinking this in their head, Jesus, we've been with you the whole time, brother. We have been with you the whole time. Like you've said some things that almost contradicted Moses and we stuck in there. We hung in there with you, brother. We did. You said some things that, that kind of ticked off the religious officials and we had your back. We were with you, Jesus, we were with you. But come on, Jesus, you can't say that. Passover in remembrance of you? Now let me just put this in perspective. Let's say in about eight months we're going to celebrate Easter, right? We're going to have Easter Sunday again. And this place is popping. Our greeters are crushing it. They're out in the parking lot and they're waving. And they got signs and they're welcoming everybody in. And folks are just pouring into the church. I mean, this place is popping. Pastor Ty is over in Kids Church and Kids Church is popping. And they had an Easter egg hunt and it's an exciting day. And Pastor Ty just gives a message and it's awesome. And Pastor Cece and Victoria, they're in tiny valley and kids are pouring into tiny valley and they're having a great morning and you all walk in here and you look great some of you have showered and you're dressed and you're clean and this place is awesome and the service is popping and all of a sudden we have some singing and I step up and I say hey aren't you guys excited it's Easter it's Easter I'm so excited I'm so excited listen I, I just want to do something just a little different today I just want to do something a little different I thought we'd do this I, I know I know we've been doing Easter forever and I know it's been a celebration of our people forever but today I'd like to do Easter in remembrance of me. I'd like us to do it. In fact, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get up and we're going to sing some songs. And I'd like us to do some songs. And I'd like us to do those in remembrance of me. We're going to take an offering in a little while. And we're going to take an offering. And we're, I'd like us to do that in remembrance 
of me. Now, just to put some things in perspective for you, we have sermon prep every Tuesday. This is my favorite meeting of the week. We do sermon prep at 9 to about 10.30. We have some bright minds on our team. And I started talking about this. Pastor Vicki, without me saying anything, she said, oh, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. If that ever happens, if I ever get up and I say this is in remembrance of me, you all should walk out. You have full permission. Get up and walk out here. The train has gone off the track. Something is wrong. Something is, okay, this is Jesus. This is his body? Do this in, in, in remembrance of him. I'm just telling you, you need to get this. It's awkward in the room right now. They're in this room and they're having this Passover meal, something they're very familiar with. And suddenly everything is extremely awkward. Well, the meal goes on because it's a Passover dinner. It's a Passover dinner and they continue on. And then it says this, after supper, so the whole meal would have gone on. And during that supper, they would have been having cups of wine. They would have had cups of wine. It's part of the celebration. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is Jesus, Jesus, we got it. We got the whole cup thing down. I mean, you kind of messed up the bread thing, but we got the cup thing down. We get it. We know what the cup is about. On the last night, when our people left Egypt, right, the, the, the last plague that God brought upon the Egyptians was the angel of death. And the angel of death would, would kill the firstborn in every family. It was the final plague. It was the final straw that broke the camel's back and, and Pharaoh finally gave in and let the people go. And the angel of death would come to your house and would kill the firstborn unless... Remember this? You had to kill a lamb, by the way, spotless lamb, perfect lamb. You would kill the lamb, you would take the blood of the lamb, you'd put it on a, some kind of swab or something, and you'd smear it over the doorpost of your house. And if, the, if you did that, then the angel of death would pass over your house, and the firstborn was spared. They're like, Jesus, we know what the cup is about. And Jesus says this, this cup is the, the new covenant. It's actually a new covenant. It's a new, what do you mean it's a new covenant? Like, what, what kind of covenant is this? Like, what are we talking about here, Jesus? What, what do you mean a new covenant? What, what do you, now, the kids who were there, who would have been Sunday school kids and would have grown up in the temple, and they've been paying attention all the years they were growing up, they would have been looking for this because they would have remembered that about 650 years prior to that, the prophet spoke, the prophet Jeremiah spoke, and he predicted this new covenant. Now watch what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, the day is coming, it's coming in the future, says the Lord, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, when I, God, will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Remember this at one time, the nation of Israel was still the nation of Israel, but it was split into a northern kingdom Israel and a southern kingdom Judah. It's still the nation of Israel. And he says, there'll be a day when I'm gonna have a new covenant, not like the old covenant. It's not like the old covenant, everybody. It's a new covenant. And he goes on and he says, this new covenant, by the way, will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. Where? At Sinai. God made an, a, a covenant with them when they left Egypt and they got to Mount Sinai. He said, it's not gonna be that same kind of covenant. It's gonna be a different covenant. He says, not when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Well, what kind of covenant will be? He says, this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, after the days when we made the covenant at Sinai. Here's the type of covenant that this is gonna be, really interesting. I'll put my instructions deep within them I'll write them on their hearts. Remember this? Moses came down from Sinai and he had the tablets and he didn't just have the 10 commandments. He had a whole list of all these instructions. You can read those at the end of the book of Exodus and you can read it in Leviticus. And there were so many rules and there were so many do's and don'ts. Don't do this, do this. It's not gonna be that kind of covenant. Now think about this. It's gonna be a covenant of the heart. 
He says, I will write these things on their heart. The covenant we have with God, it's going to be a covenant of conscience. It's going to be a covenant of their hearts. Got it? I'm going to make this a different. Now, he says, this cup, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. This is the new covenant. Now, if the disciples had been paying attention, and if they'd really been thinking, here's the question they would have asked. Well, exactly what kind of covenant is this? Because we lived under a covenant. We had a covenant. We had a covenant at Sinai. Like, Noah had a covenant. Abraham had a covenant. There was a covenant at Sinai. Like, exactly what, okay. So this is where I totally nerd out. And if you don't nerd out, that's okay. And I'll just geek out for a minute. And some of you like to geek out. And I just get caught up in this. But I think you need to know this. I'm promising you in advance, there will not be a test. There will not be a test. What I'm praying is this. I'm praying that sometimes when I geek out and I love this stuff, like knowledge puffs up and it makes people proud. And I'm praying that we have a knowledge that says, oh, 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 I get it. Now I want to live. I want to live for Christ. So I want to show you covenants because in the ancient world, there were essentially three kinds of covenants. There were three kinds. The first is called a bilateral parity treaty. That's a type of covenant. A bilateral parity treaty, uh, O'Neill, you and I make an agreement. It's, it, it's like, you know, I will if you will, if you will, then I will. If I don't, you don't. If you don't, I won't. And so when you think of a bilateral, it's two parties and they're essentially equals. They're equals. That's a bilateral parity treatment. And essentially, you think of that like a business contract. That's a bi- These were common agreements, common covenants in the Old Testament. I will if you will, if you will, I will. If you don't, I won't. If you don't, I won't. Blah, blah, blah. Right, this is a business type of contract. That's a bilateral parity treatment. But there are two more. The second one is what's known as a bilateral suzerainty treaty. Now, the suzerain is, is a... It is a, a power, it's an authority, it's a dominion. It's, it would be like a king as a suzerain. Okay, a king as a suzerain. And so in a bilateral suzerainty treaty, you have two parties. But one of them is a suzerain. One of them is a power. One of them makes all the rules. The one of them makes all the rules. And so when you think of this, you essentially think of this as, a, as your high school driving privileges. This is how I think. So in our home growing up, neither of my folks went to college. And so growing up, it was just assumed, you'll go to college. Our children will go. Now, it was a different thing in the, in the 80s. That's just, that's just, it was automatic. That's just what you did. And so my father said, so here's the deal. You're going to college, so you better get a job. And so we had paper routes always growing up. And then when, when I hit 13, uh, I, I had a job at a restaurant. We were washing dishes late at night. And then my brother got a job there. And he was busting tables. He was older than I was. And we were always working, always working. But my father said this, you ain't buying no car. You go to work, you're not spending your money on a car because you're going to waste all your money. You're going to college. So consequently, what my father said was this, I have a car for you. And so he always had this, we had this old beater car. There's always, the floor was literally rusted out. We stepped through the floor one time. But he said, here's it. So here's the way this works. My father is essentially the suzerain. And so my father, we know the rules and we know how we're supposed to behave and we know how we're supposed to act. We, we already know that. And so the suzerain comes and he gives us the keys and he says, you can have the car. And we say, oh, thank you, mighty one, which is what we normally said. We said, oh, thank you, mighty one. And my father would give us the keys and then we could drive the car. And then every once in a while, you'd do something stupid. You'd, you'd, you'd get kicked out of a class or we got kicked out of the cafeteria one time or we got, 
if you got a form 13 was when you were getting below a D and your parents, and I'm speaking for my brother and sister, and you would get a form 13 <laughs> and your parents would have to sign the form 13. You'd have to take that back. Or you got, you got caught riding around town on the top of a car and you got pulled over by the police. Again, my brother and sister were having these issues. And so my father would say, all right, give me the keys. I'm taking the keys back. And then, and, the, and you're like, no father, no great one. No. And, and I'll get better and, and we'll do this right. And, dah, dah, dah. and so you start behaving right again. And then eventually he he gives you the, the keys back and you go, thank you, great one. And then you get to, and, and it's like this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It, it, this happens like all the time. Listen, this was the kind of treaty that happened at Sinai. Think about this. This is the exact kind of treaty, a bilateral suzerainty treaty is the tre treaty that happened between God and the Israelites at Sinai. Moses came down carrying the tablets. Again, you, you can read all of, the, all of the full list of laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? And he said, this is it. This is the deal. Do you folks want in or not? And the Israelites said, oh, yes. Oh, yes, we do. Now, we know the history of Israel. They'd be going along. God said, look, God said the rules are this. If you do this, if you do this, you will obey me. If you will be obedient to me, I will bless you. Your crops will grow. You will have military victories. This is how it will be. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, gracious one. And then they become disobedient. And God would punish them and their crops wouldn't produce and they'd lose wars, right? Then, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. And they'd go back to God and they'd tell them how sorry they were. And, and, and this went on and off, on and off, on and off. And then finally, the nation of Israel finally got so mad, they got grounded for 70 years. Do you remember this? The Babylonians came in and took them captivity and they were taken out of the land for 70 years. It was God's discipline because what they had was a bilateral suzerainty treaty. You have the suzerain makes all the rules, right? And the other party just, okay, we got to keep the rules or else we're going to get punished. Or, so that's called a bilateral suzerainty tre treaty. However, there is a third one. This is so interesting. It's called a promissory covenant. Now, promissory covenants are really interesting because a promissory covenant is where one party obligates themselves to the treaty only for the best interest of the other party. Only out of grace, the grace of their hearts, the kindness of their hearts. Only because of their great love for the other party. That that's just what they do. Now, not going to be my proudest moment. I'm going to give you the, the example. Is think your elementary school cafeteria. Okay, so, so I don't know if your elementary school cafeteria worked this way. At our elementary school, uh, we, we used to brown bag. But... For the kids who bought lunches, you would have your lunch on a tray, remember this, and you sit in the cafeteria and you eat. When you're ready to go, when you're ready to go, you raise your hand, and then the cafeteria monitor comes over and checks your space. Okay, so I'm in first grade, and this is going to be a little hard to imagine, but I was a bigger dork in first grade than I am now, okay? And so I'm this dorky first grade kid, so I sit at the table. It's like first grade, because remember kindergarten, we had half days. So you didn't eat lunch in the cafeteria. So now it's, it's about the first day of first grade, first time in the cafeteria. So I get my little brown bag. I go, I find a space to eat. I'm sitting there eating. Two fifth grade girls. These are like women. These are women. <laughs> Two fifth grade women sit down at this table. I'm the biggest dork. And I'm like, these are real women. These are fifth graders. And so they sit at the table, and I'm just starstruck. I'm just in love. I'm totally infatuated. These are fifth-grade women, everybody. And so they get ready to go. They're getting ready to go. They're getting ready to leave the cafeteria. 
And so the rule in our cafeteria, what the cafeteria monitor would come over and do is, and I don't know if it was like this in your school, but they checked your table, they check all around your floor, and then if you're a kid who has a tray, because you, you, you bought your lunch, you had to eat everything on your tray. I don't know if they still do that, but you had to eat everything on your tray. So these fifth grade girls are sitting, and I can hear them talking because they're getting ready to go. And the one girl says, well, I, I didn't eat the butter. I mean, I got this bun, I didn't eat the butter. And the other girl goes, me either. Do you think they'll let us out? And so they're talking about it. So I'm like Barry White. I have the fifth grade Barry White, you know. And so in my Barry White deep sexy voice, I say, I'll eat your butter. <laughs> and, and these girls, these girls look at me and they're like, what did he just say? And, I'm, and they're like, are you for real? Like you would eat that? And I'm like, oh yes, I will eat your butter. And so they each hand me their patty of butter. And now I'm thinking to myself, what do I actually do with the butter? I don't know. But here's the deal. It's a promissory covenant. And I've obligated myself for their betterment because I was just infatuated and in love with these women. Right? So I pop them both in my mouth and I kind of, right? Okay, that's kind of how you think of a promissory covenant. It is one person binds themselves to an obligation purely out of love and the betterment for the other person. I read a story one time about a woman down in the South and she was going home from church. She had a dress on, she's got a hat on, right? She's carrying a purse and she hops out of the gas station and she's pumping gas in her car. And while she's pumping gas in her car, a man comes out of nowhere. He jumps in her car and is trying to take off, gonna carjack her. This woman goes cuckoo. She's not just letting somebody take her car. She chases and she grabs the door and she's got a purse still in her arm and she's being drugged as he's squealing out of the parking lot and she is beating him with her purse he's dragging her and he's beating him he finally gets out of the he just stops the car and gets out and runs what's in the back seat she was obligated purely out of her love for her child see that's a promissory covenant. One party only thinking about their great love for the other party completely obligates themselves to this. So just so you know this, the promissory covenant is exactly what God made with Abraham. Remember this, there were, he didn't make it with the nation of Israel. There was no nation of Israel. There's just Abraham. And God in his sovereignty and God in his wisdom just selected Abraham. We don't know why. He just selected Abraham. He plucks Abraham. There, there are no Jewish people yet. Abraham had been worshiping the moon, right? And God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. See, it's all on God. I'm going to bless you. And not only bless you, Abraham, but I will bless all nations through you. That's us. That's just God doing that. Now, here's a really interesting tidbit that I think is, is, is fun to see along with this also, that how do you ratify a covenant? In the Old Testament, here's how they ratify the, covenant, the, the, uh, the covenants. They would have a cutting ceremony. Some of you know this, they would have a cutting ceremony. And that, that's why we still use the language. When you make a deal with somebody, you're cutting a deal. Right, because in the Old Testament, in the, in the ancient world, when they would ratify these covenants, they would, cut, uh, they would have a cutting ceremony. Here's what you do, literally. You can read about this in the book of Genesis. 
God enters into this promissory type of covenant with Abraham. And so they have a cutting ceremony. What you do is you cut animals right down the middle. And then you splay them open. You put some space in here. And the, the parties, depending on what kind of covenant it was, both parties would just walk through the animals. And they would walk through the animals. And they would state these vows that they're making. And the, the essence of, it, of, the, of the cutting ceremony is this. If I break my word to you, if you break your word to me, if I break my word to you, may it be done to me as it's been done to these animals. Right? If you break your word to me, it may be done to you as it's been done to these animals. Okay, now watch. You can read about this in the book of Genesis. God enters a promissory covenant with Abraham. And so he lays out all the terms. And they have this big ceremony. And they're cutting open all kinds of animals, several animals. And they lay open, lay open these bird, these, uh, even these birds. And now God is going to make the, they're going to have the cutting ceremony. What does God do? He puts Abraham to sleep. And God alone passes through. Why? Because it's promissory. Because it's one party obligating themselves. God was obligating himself to Abraham, but to every one of us who would come. That is a promissory covenant. That's how promissory covenants work. Okay, now, go back to this. Remember this. Jesus said this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant between God and his people. Okay, what kind of covenant, Jesus? What kind of covenant are you making with us? Ready for this? Watch this. You'll read this different forever. An agreement confirmed in my blood. Do you understand this? This instantly now tells you this is a promissory covenant. Because this is Jesus saying, I'm going to be that animal. I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'll be the sacrifice. See, it's all on me. Jesus is saying, this is a promissory covenant, and it's all on me. But who's it for? Watch what Jesus says. It's confirmed in my blood, which is poured out for you. Right, here's a promissory covenant. It's all on Jesus. It's all for you. Why was he doing this? Because a promissory covenant, one party obligates themselves out of love for the other. It's all on Jesus. It's all for you. It's all on Jesus. It's all for me. It's all on Jesus. It's all for all of us. Crazy. I mean, there's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could do. There's absolutely nothing we could do. Listen, this is gospel of John because some of you would say, well, how, do I, how can I participate in that? How can I be a part? John laid it out so well in his gospel. This is how God loved the world. It was a promissory covenant. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, so that anyone, so that you, so that me, so that all of us, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in Christ, whoever believes that God raised him from the dead, whoever commits their life to Christ will not perish, but will participate in this new covenant, in this promissory covenant. You will have eternal life. It's all on Jesus. It's all for you. It's the big so what today. It's all on Jesus. It was every bit for you. You couldn't earn it. There's nothing you could do about it. It is by grace that you are saved through faith in Christ when you place your trust in him. Like, I'll never read this scripture the same after studying this for the last three weeks. I'll never read it the same. I'll never take communion the same. I'll never view it the same. It's absolutely all on Jesus. It is every bit for you and me. Why? It's just out of God's great love. 
There's no explaining that. Why did he choose Abraham? Why did I eat the butter? <laughs> like, I'm still figuring that out. It's all on Jesus. That's all for you. And so we do the big so what. If you're, if you're new around here, we do the big so what. But then we do the big now what. Like, again, knowledge just puffs us up. Knowledge just makes us proud. What are we going to do? Don't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do. Do. You remember that Jesus said this? Do this how? In remembrance of me. Now, the New, Court, New Testament is recorded to us in Greek. But the Hebrew idea of, of remember is very different. Not necessarily different from Greek, but different than what we think. The Hebrew word is zakar. That's the Hebrew word for remember. And zakar doesn't mean that you remember something like, oh yeah, I remember that. I have this distant memory, I remember that. The Hebrew idea of this is you remember and you reflect the fact that you remember because it changes the way you live. It changes the way you behave. You remember by behaving differently, right? You don't just remember like, hey, I set the timer for X number of minutes and I got to pull the pizza out of the oven. No, 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 I didn't just remember that. I got up and I pulled the pizza out. I got up and I did something about it. Here's the big now what? Man, the big now what is, man, we got to live different. Like our lives should reflect every day that we understand that somebody gave us a promissory covenant. Like they just took care of that for us. Why? I don't know why. Just out of their great love for us. Like, like that's got to impact the way we live. I always think about this because I think of us as a church. We're a church, man. We're on a mission. We're a group of people on a mission. What if we live like that? Because you know what? When you live like that, when you live in that way, do you know this? People will want to work for you even though they totally disagree with what you believe because they'll see the way you live. Did you know that people will want to work with you even though they totally disagree with you because they see the way you live? They see what you really believe. Did you know that your classmates and your kid on your team and your kids that are in band with you and your kid, do you know that, that they'll just want to be around you even though they totally disagree? They totally disagree with what you believe. Did you know that? You know, as you guys interact, you're interacting, you're at work, like you're doing all those things and people totally disagree with what you believe. They're like, man, but there's something there. There's something there. There's something there. Cause I see the way they live. Cause right now the way you're living is you live in a way that says, man, I'm the recipient of a promissory covenant. That stuff's just gotta change us. It's got to change us. We just got to live different. I always say this, you know, that the word Christian has gotten so watered down in our culture. I don't even know what it means to be a Christian. They were called Christians in the New Testament. They were disciples. They were followers of Jesus. And if we can get back to that, and if we can live like that, God's kingdom is, is just going to explode. And I dream about that. We say in our staff, that's, that's our vision. We dream about seeing that happen in our community. And then as our community just radiates out, people just be radically changed by that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, I just thank you for the power and the life that's in your word. I just thank you for the way you reveal yourself to us in your word, oh God. I'm just so grateful for that. Just so grateful for that, God. So blessed, so grateful. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. Hey, I want to give you a second this morning with your head still bowed. I just want to give you a second this morning. Because I know that God is speaking to some of you. Some of you would say, you know what? I, 
I haven't really been living that way as if that's truth. Like I'm doing a pretty decent job, but I haven't really been living that way. And if that's you this morning and God is speaking to you, man, I just want to invite you. I just want to invite you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Let the Holy Spirit change your life. Let the Holy Spirit change the way you talk and believe and the Holy Spirit affect the way you act. Would you just, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to do that? See, that's work I can't do. That's work only the Holy Spirit can do. Only the Holy Spirit changes lives. That's it. But I want to speak to one more group this morning. And that's, you might be here and maybe you said, hey, I used to go to church, but I got mad at the church. I was hurt by the church. I don't go to church anymore. Maybe you, you, you never grew up going to church and you came to church because somebody invited you to church. You felt compelled to come to church. Right? And maybe you've never considered a relationship with Christ. Maybe you, you've never been, felt like you're the recipient of this promissory covenant. Maybe you, you're full of shame and you're full of guilt and you say, man, I, I could never be forgiven. And then we read John's gospel and he said, whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes, for everybody believes, for all who believe. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to walk you through a prayer. I want, I want you to pray this. I, 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 believe, I don't believe you're here by coincidence. I don't think you dialed in on TV by coincidence. I want you to allow the, the Holy Spirit to finish the work that he's already begun. Right? And so I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. We just call it sinner's prayer a lot of times. And... You, you could pray this prayer as well. It's not, a, it's not a magic prayer. There's no magic incantation. It's what's in your heart. Now, what's your heart saying? What's your heart speaking to God right now? And I'm just telling you, man, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then I would say respond this morning. I'm gonna pray this prayer out loud and you could pray this prayer as well. You don't have to pray it out loud. It needs to be the truth that's in your heart. But as I pray, you would pray this, God in heaven, I acknowledge who you are. You're the almighty, all power, completely in control. I acknowledge God that you are holy and perfect and blameless. And God, I admit, I admit, I confess it, I'm a sinner. I agree with you. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I thank you that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And so today I commit my life. Today, today I commit my life. Today I recommit my life. Today I'm getting back in line. Today I'm committing my life. I thank you, Jesus, that you sent your spirit now to live in me. And I pray that you give me strength to follow after you. Hey, with your head still bowed, I just want to be able to pray with you and pray for you. And so if you said, hey, today I recommitted my life or I gave my life to Christ for the first time, I want to be able to pray for you right where you're at. So just, uh, just where you're sitting, just through the heads to bow, just raise your hand and give me a wave. Just let me know. And I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as a group. Just let me know. Give me a high sign. Give me a wave. Yep, got it. Right on. Got it. Who else? Just, just give me a wave. Just let me know. 
I want to be able to pray for you, pray God's blessing upon you. Just give me a quick look, give me a quick wave. Love it. It's awesome. Yeah, got you. That's awesome. Got it. Anybody else? Just give me a quick look. Right on, right on, right on, right on, right on. Love that, love that, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Right on, love it. So good. Anybody else? Just give me a quick look. Give me a quick wave. Just give me a heads up. Give me a thumbs up. Let me know. Right on. Love it. Love that. Love it. Love it. Father, for those who have recommitted their lives or committed their lives for the first time, God, we rejoice. We rejoice and we pray, God, we pray your strength and Holy Spirit that you would make them aware of your presence instantly, that you would make them aware of your presence instantly. God, that you would strengthen them, that you would empower them. God, that they would join with us now as part of the mission as we have work to do and we need the body of Christ. So God, thank you for new life today. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has been here. We know that this is only the work of your Holy Spirit, God. It's not the work of our talented musicians or some kind of message. That's you, God. We give you praise and honor and glory. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.